Shalom, Shalom. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm delighted to hear that you are drawn to the Jewish root that supports the grafted-in branches. You know, Torah is central to properly understand and perform the will of Hashem, that is, God. It is crucial for us to understand theologically that the primary purpose in Hashem's giving of the Torah as a way of making someone forensically righteous only achieves its goal when the person, by faith, accepts that Yeshua, Jesus, is the promised Messiah spoken about therein. Welcome to Parashat Lech Lecha, Get Yourself Out. The address is Breshit, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through chapter 17, verse 27. The reading date will be Shabbat, and I'm your author, Torah teacher, Ariel Ben Lyman. Some of you may have noticed that I have changed my intro music from the first two shows uh, to this current techno beat that you just heard. I am proud to confess that that song was um, composed, performed, and written, I should say, by a very, very good friend of mine by the name of uh, Ryan Kingsley, who also happens to be a member of the congregation that I attend in Thornton, Colorado, Kehilatunuva. Ryan and I have been good friends for probably about, I don't know, eight or nine months, and uh, he's got a passion for techno music, so I commissioned him to write me a new intro and outro song for my Torah commentaries. You're also going to be hearing more of his music from time to time as I update and upload different podcasts. I'll feature different songs by him. And one of these days, I'll find a way to sneak in an entire song of his on one of my podcasts, okay? But at the meantime, if you want to contact Ryan, you can just simply contact me. My email is yeshua613 at hotmail.com, and I'll make sure that Ryan gets the email, the particular song that we uh, that I chose for my intro music this time. is a song that Ryan wrote. It's called Shema, and... Uh, I, I think I like it. I hope you do, too. Um, also, I'm proud to say that he's a student of mine, a Talmud of mine, studying Torah underneath me. And uh, we have a great time working together uh, day by day and studying together as well, okay? This particular podcast, or commentary, I should say, writ the, or, the uh, uh, written version, was updated on November 1st of 2006. All quotations are taken from the Complete Jewish Bible, translation by David H. Stern, Jewish New Testament Publications Incorporated, unless otherwise noted. Let's begin with the opening blessing for the Torah. Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Bachar Banu Mikol HaAmim V'Natan Lanu Et Torato Baruch Atah Adonai Noten HaTorah Amen Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe. You've selected us from among all the peoples and has given us your Torah. Blessed are you, Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Welcome to Parashat Lech This commentary will address the following topics. Uh, Anti-Judaism, Avram and his progeny. And then we'll talk about credited to him as righteousness. We'll also talk about repairing the breach 
today, so it will be an exciting commentary. I hope you will uh, listen to the entire thing and be blessed. Before we get started, I want to say at the onset that some of the commentary that I'm going to be providing today, it just may appear to be slightly reproving and correcting to some of you. Now, correction at times can be unpleasant, I realize, but that's okay, because the Torah has been given to us for reproof and correction when we need it. You can read Second Timothy three sixteen and 17 for that reference. It's not really my intent to openly offend or belittle anyone. So I would ask that you please allow the Ruach HaKodesh, Holy Spirit, to have his way in you as you study the pages of Hashem's wonderful word this particular hour. Okay, sit back and strap yourselves in, because we have finally come to a place in the Torah where the narrative will begin to slow down a bit. In fact, if we uh, look backwards by way of retrospect, the Torah has spent the last 11 chapters covering everything from the creation account to the fall of man, the birth of the first offspring, the first death, the first atonement, a series of lengthy genealogical lists are also in there, and then the world deluge. We also have the Tower of Babel, uh, the Tower of Babel, and the first official biblical covenant between man and Hashem. All of that in the first uh, 11 verses. And yet, all of this information covers a time period of about 2,000 years. Yet in comparison, the story that we are about to embark on centers around one man and his journey to become the father of Hashem's chosen heritage of people. That is to say, the Jewish nation for this uh uh, at, at this particular time. This is well before the Gentiles get added in mass way up in Acts chapter 2. For now, we're just going to focus on the Jewish side of Israel. Avram's story unfolds before us, and the Torah uses the next 13 chapters to do so, while the time period covered is approximately 120th of that of the previously mentioned material. Isn't that neat to find out? You might pause and ask yourself at this point in time, what is Hashem trying to convey to us with the uh, the differences in the, what material has been covered in the first 11 chapters and then now, the, the next 13? Are the details surrounding the beginnings of humanity less important to our God than one man from Ur? I don't think so. Of course not, we would answer. What I believe our God is teaching us here is that sometimes his word, how shall I say, majors on the majors and minors on the minors. Kind of upsets us, but in other words... While at times we would hope for more information on certain aspects of the Torah, Hashem has graciously provided us with exactly the right amount needed to live our lives according to His instructions and remaining pleasing to Him. Having said all that, interestingly enough, by using a computer-assisted word search, I've discovered that the name Abram, whom I'll call Avram from this time forward, is found about 46 times in the whole Bible. Using the same resources, the name Abraham, whom I'll call Avraham from this time forward, is found 216 times in the Bible. Now, these numbers do not reflect the possibility of another man other than... I'm sorry, these numbers do reflect the possibility of another man other than the main character of our parasha bearing the same name. I didn't factor that possibility out. Yet, surely... Most, if not all, someone else can care to do the math for me, um, most surely refer to our very own Avraham. So, let's read about this father of many nations. Our portion gets its name 
from the opening statement from Hashem, Lech Lecha. This particular section is called Anti-Judaism, Avraham and his progeny. The Torah says in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, let me read it for you in Hebrew, Vayomer Adonai el Avram, Lech Lecha, Mi Arzecha, Umi Moladadecha, Umi Beit Avicha, El Haaretz Asher Arecha, Veethcha, Logoi Gadol, Vaavarechcha, Vaagdala, Shmecha, Vahaye Bracha, Vaavar Acha, Mivarechcha, Umkalelecha, Aor, Venivrhu, Vecha, Kol Mishpachot, Haadama. The translation is Now Adonai said to Avram, Get yourself out of your country, away from your kinsmen, and away from your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you are to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, but I will curse anyone who curses you. And by you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The opening monologue from Hashem, containing both directives and promises, is packed with some very important facts that affect every man, woman, and child who will be born from here on out. To be sure, it still affects everyone today. How so? Allow me to conduct a word study. We've been taught many times over, hopefully, that is, that you're getting this from churches and synagogues, many times over that the verse... Uh, verse 3 of the verses I just read above. Verse 3 is referring to the ultimate blessing that Avram would be once his ultimate righteous heir was born. And by you all the families of the earth will be blessed, is the phrase in, uh, in focus here. The Torah makes it perfectly clear that this righteous heir is none other than Yeshua, Ben Yosef, Ben David, Ben Avraham. And you can back that up by looking at Matthew chapter 1. This is who uh, the Moshe was writing about. But our usual sermons focus on the latter part of that verse, and by you all the families of the earth will be blessed. We usually hear the sermon, or the Midrash, in a Messianic uh, synagogue done on that particular part of the verse. But I want to call attention to the first part of verse 3. The first part. Let me read it back for you again. And let me emphasize some different words. Um, I will bless those who bless you. But I will curse anyone who curses you, and by you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So, rather than focusing on part B of the verse, let me focus on part A of the verse, okay? Here, Hashem promises to bless those who bless Avram. The Hebrew wording used both times for bless is the root word barach, and it literally means to bow the knee. This promise is understood to be extending to his physical offspring as well, which, for our purpose, we're going to call the Jewish people. Um, moreover, we have seen that many peoples of the world, symbolically and physically, have in fact blessed Avram. They've done exactly what this verse promised would happen. To be sure, we don't hear of many individuals actually, how shall we say, cursing Avram or his offspring, the Jews. Now, of course, a few unmentioned exceptions do exist, but we don't need to go into that for this particular study. You could say from Hashem's perspective, he has set up a sort of divine 
cause and effect here. And here's what I mean by that. Quote, if you, a non-Jew, bless Avram or his offspring, then in return, I will bless you. In a sense, that's what God is saying. If you bless Avram's physical offspring, I, for my part, Hashem says, will bless you. But the really interesting f- fact is found in the Hebrew word translated as curse in this particular verse. And that's where I want to kind of slow down a bit. In the first instance, where it says, I will bless those who bless you, but curse anyone who curses you, in the first instance of the word translated curse, in my translation out of, of, of the uh, Complete Jewish Bible by David H. Stern, the root word of the word curse comes from the word arar, A-R-A-R. That's the root word of curse there. Here's what Strong's Concordance and Brown Driver Briggs and Jacinius Hebrew Lexicon have to say about this particular word arar. Okay, the, the Strong's number is 0779. Arar is a primitive root, and it means to curse, and it's found that way 62 times. Bitterly, it's found once. And its total usage, according to Strong's, is 63 times. So we have a curse at 62, and bitterly, like a, like a um, modification of the word curse, found once. It goes on to describe the word this way. The lexicon says, to curse, cursed be he. Um, and, and in the cursed be he, we have the participle used as in curses. Uh, it means to be cursed or cursed or lay under a curse, to put a curse on, to be made a curse, be cursed. That's really what we're talking about, okay? And again, that's from the BDB and Strong's Court and Cordance. BDB, by the way, is my way of saying Brown, Driver, Briggs, and Jacinius Hebrew Lexicon. I'll just say BDB from here on out. Wow, if we stop and think about how we just read that dictionary definition of RR, cursed, that's, that's some heavy language. Especially, and this is most noteworthy, especially when we realize that this is the sovereign creator of the universe speaking this promise here. We don't want God making sure on this word in our account. If God says he's going to curse you, you, I mean, we could speculate all day as to what that might look like. But to be honest with you, if God is the one doing it, and it's a reaction to us cursing Avram, I don't want to be on the receiving end of that curse. So regardless of what it might look like, God is the one who's making sure it comes to pass. But here's where it gets interesting. The second word translated as curse in our verse, you know, I will curse those that curse you, surprisingly is not the same as the first. In the formulation for bless those that bless you, it is the same, barach, barach, both times. But I promise, look up in the Hebrew, use your strongs and your um, lexicons to find this out, to back me up. The second time, the word is not Arar. In fact, this time, the original word is taken from the root word kalal. In fact, in our current parasha, our current portion here, in chapter 16, verse 4, we find that the Hebrew translates this word as contempt. That's how it's translated in many versions, kalal. Especially in chapter 16, verse 4, it uses the word contempt when referring to the attitude that Sarai, remember she's Abram's wife, Avram's wife, it, it uses this uh, word contempt to describe the attitude that she had towards her handmaid Hagar. Here's what Strong's in the BSD this time, I'm sorry, the BDB, here's what Strong's in the BDB of Concordance have to say about that word, kalal. You ready? It's Strong's number 07043. Kalal, it's also a primitive root, if I'm looking up the word kalal it is, 
and it means curse 39 times it means swifter five times it means light thing five times it means vile four times lighter four times despise three times abated four times ease twice light twice lighten twice slightly twice and then there are 12 miscellaneous other usage according to um, Strong's so its total usage throughout the Tanakh or Old Testament is 82 times, counting up, uh, adding up all those different nuances there. So let me just read the uh, definition according to the lexicon. Okay, it means to be slight, be swift, be trifling, be of little account, be light, be abated. Of and when referring to water, it means abated. It means to be trifling, to be swift, to show oneself swift to appear trifling, to be too trifling, to be insignificant, to be lightly esteemed. It means to make despicable. It means to curse, to be cursed, to make light, to lighten, to treat with contempt, to bring contempt or dishonor, to shake, to whet, to shake oneself, to be moved to and fro. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. After listening to that, I hope that this list is a shocker. You're thinking, wow, I didn't know that Kalal meant that. Especially when we re- compare it to what the other word, um, arar, uh, the other word arar means. To curse, to be cursed, uh, to lay under a curse, to put a curse on, to be made a curse. But listen to what the nuances are of this other word. To be light, to be trifling, to lightly esteem, to make despicable. We usually find ourselves thinking, you know, as a believer in Messiah Yeshua, I would never meaningfully curse Avram or his offspring, the Jews. And as a believer in Messiah, I understand that my spiritual heritage is forever bound up in their lineage. Of course, I'm referring to the olive tree theology of Romans chapter 11. I realize that the offspring of Abraham is my heritage. Because from the offspring of Abraham came the Messiah, Yeshua himself. And so I'm a spiritual Jew, I might say, as a Christian. I would never curse my family tree. But the shocker is that according to the word used for curse in this particular um, definition, Kalal, according to this word, I'm afraid that many well-meaning believers are unknowingly cursing Avram and his offspring. If I were to translate this verse using our newfound definitions of the word curse, it would read something like this. Now, this is my translation using kalal and arar, according to the nuances I just read, okay? Let me read the verse again, and then I'll insert the words that we have just read. I will bless, bow the knee, those who bless, bow the knee, you. But I will curse, that is, be accursed, arar, I will curse anyone who kalal, and what I mean now is I will curse anyone who despises, makes of little account, lightly esteems, thinks insignificant of you. And by you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Bracha. Wow. That seems to explain the verse in a whole different light if you think about it. God says that I will bracha, I will bless, I will brach those who barach you, I will bless those who bless you, but I will arar anyone who kalals you. And arar means curse, but 
Kalal means to despise, make of little account, lightly esteem, things insignificant of. And so that seems to explain the verse in a whole different light, and so it should. For that is what I really believe the verse is alluding to. And allow me to elaborate, because I know I'm going to make some of you upset by saying, well, gosh, Ariel, what are you talking about? Let's go back into history. Part of this is very, very, very saddening, but it, it bears repeating for our study. In the 4th century, when the organized church decided to divorce herself from her spiritual mother, which of course was Judaism, I believe she unwittingly planted the seeds of what I like to call anti-Judaism. Now, anti-Judaism is not to be confused with anti-Semitism. The former is the dislike or disinterest of Jewishness and Judaism specifically. That's anti-Judaism. The latter, however, is the dislike or disinterest, dis, or disinterest in the Semitic race altogether. Um, that's where we get the difference, anti-Judaism, anti-Semitism. Maybe one is, an anti, is a dislike for the religion of Judaism, whereas anti-Semitism is it's, it's just racially, and it's wrong. By the way, both of these, anti-Judaism or anti-Semitism, they both fall into the category of violating the verse in examination. And I believe that both are disrespectful to Father Avram, and ultimately that means they're displeasing to Hashem. Because anti-Judaism, a dislike for the Jewish religion itself, is a dislike for what God has established as the lifestyle of the Jewish people. Judaism, the religion, is in fact a lifestyle as practiced by the Jewish people. And if you dislike Judaism, then it's like saying you dislike the lifestyle of the Jewish people. And that's really wrong as well. And of course, I don't have to say anything about how wrong anti-Semitism is. We all know how wrong that is. But back to history. Over the centuries, this seedbed that I referred to earlier has indeed blossomed into a full-grown weed called replacement theology. Um, and you might ask, what is replacement theology? This heretical belief, replacement theology, fosters the mistaken idea that, quote, God gave up on the Jews when they corporately rejected his son Yeshua and instead adopted the newborn Gentile church as his chosen people. It goes on to say, or uh, you know, ostensibly teach, that the unfortunate Jews were left to face the curses of the Torah and the wrath of an angry father, while the church inherited, spiritually of course, most of the blessings and promises to the Jews as pronounced in the Torah. End quote. That's replacement theology. Another heresy alongside of that that I didn't mention in my written commentary is um, the the uh, theology that teaches that Israel has not really been replaced by the church, but rather there is a parallel bride known as the church. So that rather than replacement theology, we might call it, I guess, a parallel a parallelism or dualism, where we have two brides. We have the bride of Christ being the church and the bride of of Hashem being the Jewish people themselves. And I don't have time to go into that particular heresy, but um, for this particular study, fortunately, as far as replacement theology is concerned, fortunately this theological framework is neither blatantly taught to Christians, openly favored by the same, nor endorsed by Hashem. However, you and I both know that the damage has been done. Bad habits are hard to change. Our Christian community today, in my opinion, is lacking of real spiritual depth. In fact, pastors will also reflect 
on this same notion that the church is losing her moral uh, direction. And, we, and, and many well-meaning believers scratch their head and can't figure out why. Why are we so shallow and empty today as believers? Our Christian community today is lacking of real spiritual depth, and many so-called believers have what we recognize as a superficial relationship with Yeshua. And I believe we owe a significant part of all of this to the teachings that have been passed down from one anti-Jewish generation to the next. It's just perpetual. Consequently, many Christians are either passive and ignorant when it comes to the Jewish people and community support for the Jewish people, or, in some cases, God forbid, they're outright opposed to it. Oy vey. The Torah, the Prophets, and the Writings, which we refer to as the Tanakh, have been relegated in such Christian communities to the status of what has been referred to as Old Testament while, by comparison, the Gospel, that is, the uh, stories of Yeshua and the letters of Paul, they seem to enjoy the status of New Testament. Using those labels alone, Old Testament and New Testament, as a way of causing the Jews to appear old, outdated, outmoded, and replaced. While, by comparison, the Church is defined in these same communities as new, fresh, and current. It's really sad, isn't it? Obviously, I'm not speaking of every Christian community out there. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying today. And that's a, a refreshing notion to know that there are many well-meaning believers who support Israel and the Jewish people. But unfortunately, what I've just described, Old Testament, New Testament, isn't it in fact the prevailing attitude of many non-Jews within the body today? Have you met another Christian who is currently or who has held this particular uh, viewpoint about the Jewish people you know they're the old people of God they've been replaced have you ever met someone like that sometimes I hear uh, a well-meaning non-Jewish believer say something like this uh, to me when I'm dialoguing with them you know Ariel your people prove difficult to positively influence with regards to the good news in Jesus is what they might say and that mindset, as a result, you know that that um, that way of thinking that our Jewish people are difficult to influence with regards to the good news um, fosters a weak effort among Jewish evangelism. And as a result, Jewish evangelism is weak; it's understaffed, or in the few cases where churches have tried, eventually. Jewish evangelism is abandoned altogether. They just give up on it. Because it's very hard to reach Jewish people. Even if it's not intentional, what I'm describing, this type of spiritual ignorance still feeds the replacement theological bias in that no one is made aware enough to put an end to it. No one is talking about it and exposing it. In other words, in my opinion, this ignorance has gone on far too long. This section of my commentary is now called Repairing the Breach, this next section, Repairing the Breach. I hope after everything I've just said, you're probably starting to think to yourself, gosh, what can I do to change either myself or to change the community that I'm in? What can be done to undo some of the damage and help repair the split between Avram's offspring and the church? Since most of my readership, and, and by now, according to this podcast, my listenership, 
is likely composed of Christians and Messianic Jews. That's not to say that I don't wish that non-Messianic Jews would listen to this commentary or read my um, the papers that I write, but unfortunately, pragmatically, I know that most of you listening are probably uh, Christians and Messianic Jews. So because that's my, my audience today, I'm going to focus my energies in those camps, to the Christians and to the Messianic Jews listening to me today. More information that I can post in this limited format is really available to anyone who's seriously considering answering this timely and important question. What can we do to repair the damage? I'm sure you'll agree the following suggestions that I'm about to give you are a start in the right direction. So, from Christian to Messianic Jew, here we go. Here's some suggestions. Obviously, this is not an exhaustive list. This is just my 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 idea of getting started, okay? Bullet number one. As a Christian, as a Messianic Jew, with the Spirit of God living inside of you, begin to pray about getting actively involved in the current move of the Ruach HaKodesh, that's the Holy Spirit, the current move to bring about a genuine, heartfelt love for Avram's offspring, oriented from the church and flowing outwards. Begin to pray about it. There is a move, a grassroots movement in the church today to return to the Hebraic heritage from which we have sprung. To return to the roots of our faith. To the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I know there's a movement. You wouldn't be listening to this podcast if there wasn't. Bullet number two. Ask Hashem to reveal to you your heart. Say, Father, show me myself. I pray this prayer as well, by the way. And ask Hashem to forgive you if you have unknowingly harbored these types of thoughts towards the Jewish people, Avram's offspring. We, of course, affirm that God is still in the business of forgiveness. God can forgive you. God can forgive me if that's the attitude that I've had. What I'm trying to say is that my brothers, according to the flesh... That is to say, traditional Judaism, unsaved Jews, non-Messianic Jews, secular Jews, whoever you want to call them. What they need to experience from you, the believer, is the genuine mercy of Hashem, displayed through our honest concern and support. Bullet number three is, ask Hashem to begin to reveal to you your spiritual heritage traced through faithful Avram, and continuing through to his offspring. Maybe you didn't know that the root that supports you is Abraham, and that the nourishing sap is the Messiah, Yeshua himself. That's a midrash on Romans chapter 11 in the olive tree. The root supporting the branches, Paul says in that passage, is Abraham and the fathers. Maybe you didn't know that. Today I'm revealing that to you. And so you might have to ask Hashem to continue to reveal that to you and open that uh, truth to you. You'll find that according to Romans chapter 11, just to name a good starting point, that you have some obligations to the root that supports you. Read Romans 11. You know, even after this genuine call for restoration, I'm afraid that some people will yet refuse to change their conventional ways of thinking. I'm quite certain that some people listening to this podcast and others who may not ever hear it are just going to say, no, Ariel, I refuse to believe what you have to say. To be sure, I don't expect Gentiles to begin flooding my email with letters asking me to forgive them for quote-unquote lightly esteeming the Jews. I, I, don't, I don't see that happening. 
No, I'm afraid this type of heartfelt change is not accomplished overnight. And it can only make a difference if the real Kakodesh is genuinely involved. So, as a Torah teacher, as a friend, I expect that it will take some time for human nature to readjust its mindset and line up with that, with, uh, with what Hashem wants it to be. It takes time, and I understand that. To be sure, the change must start with me, with this author. Father, change me. Change my heart. Help me to have a right attitude towards Avram and his offspring. Help me to have a heartfelt love for genuine Christians and non-Jews. After all, which one of us is perfect? Only the man, Yeshua from Nazareth, was perfect. That being said, please feel free to drop me a line, not phone call, an email, in care of this website if you still have questions or comments in this area. You can also email me personally. My address is provided at the end of this teaching. Okay. I do want to say this, however, because of the example that the Torah gives us and tells us that Avraham was. I want to say this, okay? Any man willing to do so is eligible to become an heir of this great father. Any man willing to join the family of Avraham is welcome to do so. It's not a closed family. That's the wonderful thing that I want to convey to you at the end of part A of this commentary, is that because of Avram's trusting faithfulness to Hashem's command, because he subsequently became the father of many righteous followers that would come in his, and follow in his footsteps, because he walked righteously, and of course he did that by the power of Hashem, because he's done that, we too can walk in his footsteps. He provided a wonderful example for us. And because he walked righteously, we now are the children of this righteous father. He set the example. And his obedience paved the way for us to join the family. I believe it would be something that Paul would affirm. Last but certainly not least, because of Avram's trusting faithfulness, a single righteous man was born into his lineage. From this single righteous man came the power to join the physical and or spiritual family, if you will, of the creator of all man. This man's name is Yeshua. God's chosen family consists of those physically born into Avram's lineage. And of course, according to Romans chapter 2, it says that these lineage, these family members are um, those whose praise comes not from men but from God. But I believe that it's also comprised of those who are spiritually born into Avram's lineage. That might include non-Jews, I would say. And the Torah is true as well concerning them. Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, describes all of Abraham's children as those whose praise comes not from men, but from God. So I'd have to ask you, are you part of the family? If you're not, you can be. Okay, that was really part A of my commentary, pages 1 through 6, but the commentary is 12 pages long. So, at this point, I will deal with part of this commentary, okay? This podcast has a part two. So, the second part is entitled Credited to Him as Righteousness. <laughs>